Wait, I have a question for you guys. If I eat this tangerine, like, is it gonna be like I'm doing weird food ASMR stuff? Like, are you gonna be able to like hear me eating the tangerine? Should I just yeah, fuck the tangerine? Yeah, but I'm I'm into that, so you should do it. <laughs> there's, a, there's only one way to find out. Have you ever watched those videos though, where like the the person is like, mm. <laughs> oh no, I haven't. <laughs> like a like a mook, a mukbang video. Yeah, like the crab exactly. legs like a, person. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. I don't watch any um like ASMR. Like I always notice on my um Instagram Explore page, there's a ton of like slime videos, and like um videos that are called like satisfy videos or like satisfying videos that are just like weird tactile things happening that I don't really like sometimes it's like smashing fruits or like um it's like weird like first person like you just see hands like touching stuff and it's really awful what does Instagram think of you I don't know man I think it thinks I'm like a kinky 14 year old girl sick (laughs) that's how I think of you also Sam, what email? What kind of emails you just get? I'm dying to hear about this email now. Speaking of kinky fourteen year old girls, I just got an email from um, Cafe Forgot that was uh, oh my god about a uh, a guided fashion meditation that they have That's on their cool. site that That's you great. can that you can use to get in touch with your your inner style, which I think is amazing. The cool thing about do that, that this afternoon, you are gonna do it, aren't you? What the fuck are you drinking? Absolutely. That's so much ice. You drink all that ice in the morning. You're gonna like chill it's your. Nice, uh, it's nice coffee. It constricts your vocal cords, though, Sam. It's bad when you're trying to you're trying to pod. I need to. No, it helps me sort of um, achieve the optimal vocal fry. Like the thing about Cafe Forgot or whatever, I don't even know them. But like, if you think about it, like fashion should be way more like for the freaks. Like it should it should be way like weirder in the way that like art is generally speaking. Like art school oh, yeah. kids and like art scenes. Like back in the day before it was just like a big joke like like bushwick was full of like real kind of like freaky weirdos they're not all like geniuses or like even respectable but there's like a a freaky quality to it that fashion now because it's just mainstream entertainment pop culture just doesn't have you know and like cafe forgot seems to have that and like you see pockets of it a little bit but it's like you know, when when the biggest pop stars in the world are wearing the brands that are considered to be the coolest in the world, you just they're just not they're not freaky. Yeah. You're absolutely right. That's why corporate lunch is for the real freaks only. It's for real freaks only. Um episode ninety two. Ninety three. I've been wrong. Every time we do this, I'm wrong. It's like how people don't know what day it is. It's fine. I know. I need to start tattooing, tattooing. I'll be tattooing like hatch marks on my arm that I can count. So it's nine, episode 93 of Corporate Lunch. Noah, Sam, and Rachel here. Will is um, doing magazine making this morning, so he's absent. Salute. And um, continuing on our um, this journey we've all been on together through uncharted waters, we're going to have um, Yoakum Halen from our legacy here soon he will call from sweden or wherever he is i don't know where he is he said he would call and he'll he'll join us um the big swedish homie who is one third of our legacy and um is just really cool guy so he'll be here soon 
Are you guys excited to talk to a Swedish person? Have you have you guys ever conversed with a Swede before? I've conversed with Brian Boy, who's like a you know married to a Swede. And me, I'm I'm a Swede. You are. I had uh, I had a couple of Swedish au pairs growing up. <laughs> we'll probably surprise oh nobody. That sounded really nasty. <laughs> uh, damn. Um, they were great. I love my Swedish <laughs> yeah, au pairs. That's just like a babysitter, um, right? Yeah, basically. They had like Swedish accents? Yeah, they were from Sweden. Well, like they came here for that job. Yeah, you like came come. here to be with Sam. You, yeah, yeah, you come to America for a year. Yeah, and you, you, you like learn, you know, you improve your English and uh, travel a little bit and take care of, you know, two screaming insane twin boys. And then mm-hmm. uh, you go back to Sweden. My sailing instructor was Swedish when I went to really? sailing camp. Yeah. And, I, and once we were bringing a boat back to the uh, shore and we accidentally walked into a like pit of jellyfish. And they were stinging me. I was like 11 years old and they're like stinging us madly. And I'm like, Yos, Yos, this hurts so much. And she's like, stop being a baby. I remember that. She like yelled at me, stop being a baby. This was like a, one of the deleted scenes from Midsommar when they wandered into the jellyfish, the jellyfish exactly. house on the farm. Exactly. And I got back, to, we got back to the shore and I ran to the uh, infirmary and like covered myself in meat tenderizer. And like, uh, Yost, you know, and dinner a few hours later is like, I'm not even in pain. So I have a lot of respect for Yost and the Swedish The people. Swedish people are hardcore. I was going to ask, I think we should ask Yoko, um, you know, how many of those midsummer like festivities he's attended. Yeah. You know, if that's part of the regular like summer get down or what. Yeah, it's like Coachella there. <laughs> it's coming soon yeah i guess they've canceled it although i don't know sweden seems to be on their sweden own hasn't program. canceled anything stores are still open restaurants are still open i think it's up for debate whether it's like actually working or not well they've um, had a, a very small number of uh deaths which is pretty impressive well i was just gonna say the photographs there look so surreal right now because everyone is so beautiful and the light there is amazing so you see these like crowded streets with these like golden haired people. And like, meanwhile, like I look out my window and like people are like crying on the street wearing masks. <laughs> it's, it's and really it only surreal. rains. Yeah, yeah, it only rains. I think it rules that like Sweden is always kind of like the conservative punchline. Like, well, what do you, you know, why don't you just go to Sweden if you want like universal healthcare or whatever. And now all these people who are like, we need to reopen America are like, look at Sweden. Like, isn't that awesome? <laughs> And it's like, yeah, we've been saying this the whole fucking time. Sweden rules. And the reason why they can do this is because they have like universal health care and like enormous amount of trust in like the government to provide for them. So maybe we should see if Joachim has like a guest house or something. Yeah. That we can go I live in. I have an enormous yeah. amount of trust in Joachim to provide for me. Yeah, definitely. Provide fire johns for me. Fire I mean, johns. Our legacy is basically as old as Sam Hine and is arguably more fit and... <laughs> Better suited for the world. So, um, Sam wore is our legacy sweater today. It looks like. It's beautiful. What What else is on your guys' mind this morning? What's on your head? What is that hat? I got a new hat from Pa. Nice. From um, Peter and Al. Is that what Pa stands for? Yeah. So that's a really funny thing about wow, it. You is... just blew my mind. Yeah, I, I think it's just I thought it was just Peter like a and vibe, you know? I know. And um, 
I mean, the brand's been around for a while, but I don't think that, that those two guys are really out there that much until recently. And it was actually just, I just realized that too, that that's exactly what, what the name means. Um, but they rule and I was, they make really good sweat shorts and socks. I just got a couple little like comfy little new spring items and they threw in this tennis hat for me, which is actually quite good, I think. And I, I wear is it the constantly. inside of the brim green? Yeah. That's beautiful. Damn. I really feel like, um, like when I was um, growing up, all the songs I like at the beginning, you know, someone would say like dog chow, nah, nah. And I was like, that's weird, but like, whatever. And then I realized in 2009 or 10 that in fact, all of these songs were produced by Dark Child. And <laughs> this is like the producer signature at the beginning of the song, you know, like dog Mike chow. Will made this, like, it's like yeah. Dark Child, nah, nah. They weren't saying dog chow. That's how I feel about what you just told me about Pa. Yeah, mind blown. Yeah, you thought it was just that the full name of the brand was Grandpa and everyone was just shortening it to mm-hmm. Pa. Right. And then there's like a women's wear brand called Mima. <laughs> pa is maybe the last fashion show that we'll ever go to. I didn't make it. I was busy. A historic photograph of Sam and I was taken outside. Except for all of the um, the digital fashion shows and events we'll be attending in June. The virtual front row of corporate lunch is going to be really iconic. What I really am worried about is like, how will brands replicate the unparalleled feeling of insecurity that I feel at every fashion show in a <laughs> digital capacity? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, one thing they could do would just be to like um, every like minute or so for five seconds stream you to the mm-hmm. masses. Like it would mm-hmm. cut from the presentation to your living room and then maybe you could get a little of that experience. Oh, totally. And then like a really beautiful French man comes over and is like, we actually need you to move. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, this is my house, man. And he's like, I'm so sorry. It is not, there is, it is Rihanna. Yeah, right. Every every couple of minutes, like a passive aggressive, you get like a passive aggressive directive from someone with a French accent who's just like yeah. demands you do something like, yeah, move or uncross your legs or move your bag or, you know, get out, just get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You weren't invited. <laughs> that, that I really think, yeah. One of the, like everyone's You're not like, oh, we're, I, yeah, exactly. I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sam Hein. <laughs> That's me. I've I feel like I've seen some comments from designers about like you know we always wanted our fashion presentations to be like totally inclusive, which of course you can't do with like a show in like a space that has a you know capacity. Um. But I think what they really need to do is like limit the streams. Like you should have to have like a password to view the stream and not everyone can be allowed to do it because you need that. You need some sort of exclusivity um, to make it exciting. Hey, what's what's up? up? Welcome. What's up? You're up. Yoakum is joining us. Yeah, we're we're up. Uh, it's ten fifteen in the morning. We've been up for hours uh, preparing for this episode. You've been doing your yoga. Yes, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Good. 
Um, hey guys. How are you doing? So Sam and Rachel are here. Congratulations okay. on, on bringing the, the greatest hat um, Corpulence has seen uh, among its guests. Yeah, what's your headwear <laughs> Into the Zoom today. It's my daughter's beret I'm wearing today. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so it's not just a shrunken beret, it's a children's beret. Exactly. I like it tight. <laughs> a tight fit. So it's not in our legacy beret. No, it's not. We, we do berets, but, um, you know, this you got to get some outside. You got to get something out. Yeah. No, I'm letting, um, I used to run really short hair, but I'm kind of in, in this time of <laughs> where we're at. I'm just letting it out. So I'm in this, yeah. in this pain in the ass midst, like you're in between nothing really. I was one thing I was thinking is we should start with a real good like Swedish uh, proper tutorial of how to say your full name. In Swedish? Yeah. Okay. So my name is Bror Jokum Hallin. Okay. So Jokum is pretty close to Jokum is nice. What most people call you? Not Jokum or Jokum or Jokum? No, I'm too too close to the Joker with the Jokum. <laughs> no, it's uh, Jokum. Where are you? Uh, where are you right now? Have Have you been spending the last few weeks? Um, where have you been, and what have you been doing? I mean, since you might have like maybe have read about it or or not, but Sweden is is where it's kind of everything is open, but but again, not really open. So like um, school, I have two small kids, uh, five year old and a and a seven year old, so. They they're going to to school uh, to, to to daycare and stuff, um, so that's open and uh, so we kind of been spending the weeks in the in the city. Mm-hmm. I've been going working some in the office, some from home. Uh, like the first couple of weeks when shit hit the fan, we kind of stayed home, like just stayed home the, for the for the first weeks. But then we kind of figured, yeah, we can we can work our way around this and spend some time. Kids can go and see their friends a little bit, and it's. It's freedom under responsibility, they say in Sweden. So the deal is everyone has to just take all their like extra precautions in terms of like keeping it clean and, and I don't know, what do you do? Hand washing. And yeah, are you even doing like six feet social distancing or not really? It's more just about like, no, we we do, we're doing all that. And, and, but everything is like done under, under, you know, we got this trust from the government that we can actually, we can actually go through this without locking it, you know, ourselves in. Yeah. So, so it's like a it's like a test of character as well. Everything is open. You can go into a bar, <laughs> or a restaurant, but it's like if you go in there, people look at you like, "What are you doing uh-huh. here?" But but everything is still open. So it's uh, people go and you know they support the local restaurants and joints and stuff and take take out food a lot. But it's still like some people you see like some special bars, you know, that are you know that get really crowded especially if there's you know sweden is it's not you know we're not spoiled with sun here so whenever the sun whenever the sun is out people are like packing up and you you know you know they come people from the authorities come and they kind of break up crowds and stuff at like certain 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 kinds of places like where you can you know cheap beer and uh you know you know that kind of places but but uh no good respected restaurants keep open and they have, you know, good distance between the tables and stuff. And they can still, you know, they get a little business and and hopefully they survive, you know. 
And you guys feel you feel good about the way that the situation is is working out there. Like you feel relatively safe and like it's uh, as as under control as it can be, or, or whatever. People are being responsible. I mean, it's it's really hard because we. I mean, everybody's you know comparing numbers, comparing yeah. you know, you know, is the curve is the flattened is enough? I mean, I mean, it's it's hard to say are we doing the right thing? I think from a Swedes perspective it's been when it started out it felt like we we react we responded really slow mm-hmm. uh, so we were kind of freaking out a little bit nobody's like taking any actions what are we doing and then it felt like okay then we started to understand how how you know the authorities were thinking how to to get our get, get us through this uh, what's not been working that well is the protection for like elder homes has been more than I think they were hoping so how about in terms of our legacy what um what have you been focusing on to try to try to get through this in the best position you can be in I mean it occurs to me that you probably have some pretty strong e-commerce and um maybe that helps but you do a lot of wholesale too and have your own stores so I'm sure you got a lot on your plate but what's the experience been and what what do you kind of focus what are you like trying to focus on to like just get through to it and um, move on. I mean, the the first focus when when we started feeling this was, of course, to not panic. You know, to take it take it easy and try to do the the right calls to not do anything. You know, over the top. We're a company depending on our own retail. We have e-commerce that are that are good for us, but we're also depending on wholesale and you know pretty much the whole world and every every account that we work with. Uh, closed down and some are opening up of course some e-commerce accounts that we're working with are still open and have a good business uh, mm-hmm. I mean it's been both you know it's 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 tough but I think we're doing the right the right me- taking the right measures and I think we're yeah we'll get through this it, of course we've been you know last couple of months it's only been you know our e-com has been our only lifeline kind of um, which is kind of we, we had one of these archive sales prepped already before Oh yeah. That which is, you know, a perfect thing for us to have. Can you give us a sense of like just the size of our legacy? Like, do you know like about how many accounts you have, how many like stores you have stockists worldwide? Um, we work with around 200 accounts worldwide. Um, men's and women's. Men's and women's. So the size is, is around 70% men's, 30% women's. And uh, I mean, the U.S., Asia is together with Europe. Is I mean, we have s- strong markets and strong uh, strong cities that we work with. Um, of course, in your beautiful country, New York and LA, of course, is of course important. Um, yeah. Tokyo in Asia, um, Tokyo and Seoul, um, South Korea is really really strong market for us. Uh, UK has been been for for ages uh, a very very important one for us as well. It's cool. Like you guys came out as you know a very Swedish brand, but maybe because you had a very simple name that's easy for easy very easy for Americans to understand and pronounce, but uh, <laughs> always kind of seemed to really resonate very strongly out outside of Sweden. I mean, I guess other Swedish brands do as well because you know, especially in America, Sweden is so respected for its design and 
particularly mm. tasteful sort of minimalism or whatever. Not that I would lump you in with that, but it's just a generalization we sort of have, you know, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, it seems like you guys, maybe it is the name. It never occurred to me, but our legacy is so easy for us and memorable, but um, it seems like you guys always did really well in America, even from the very beginning. Thank you. Yeah, I think, I mean, the first couple of seasons when we brought our collections over and we, you know, we came to New York and showed them, we never really talked, you know, loudly about us, uh, about us coming from Sweden. It was, we tried to be, you know, a little bit, you know, we didn't want people to put us in, in a certain category or to become a Swedish brand or uh, we just wanted to be a brand or a collection, not a, a you know, you know, try to stay as, as uh unbranded as as possible or like un, untitled like uh yeah you know, to be to be free to, to be able to do what we want and to change it you know a couple of seasons later we we take in a different direction a little bit and and you know so maybe the name in the beginning was because since we you know we came to to the states around 07 08 mm. and there was like a strong like a heritage preppy kind of movement going on and we kind of got you know that label kind of got attached to us for for a couple of years, and then when we started to you know experience more and, and to challenge ourselves, uh, I think it took a little bit be- before people understood what we were really about. But I think, yeah, you know, now we I mean we're we're happy in the positions in the position that we that we're in, and and uh, you know, feels like we both we can keep our you know the older core customer, but we also find a lot of new, new guys and girls, uh, you know, t- testing us, trying us out. It's funny the timing that you're talking about, because a lot of people obviously in the U S with the economy are comparing it to the 2008, you know, great recession that we had here or whatever. Is that the recession what it's there? called, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I guess you guys are really getting off the ground in a big way around that time. Do you remember then feeling like, oh shit, we're just getting going and now the economy's taking, we're done for? Like, did you, was there a moment <laughs> back then that feels that maybe is a little bit, um, has some echoes of what's happening today? Or or did you guys just cruise right through that without really uh, noticing it much? That's a good question. I mean, when we started out, I mean, the first couple of uh, you know full collections that we that we launched were you know around that time when when the banks you know went bust and and so but we since that was the only thing we knew we didn't really reflect on it that much we just did what we did and maybe our since we didn't do like crazy high price points you know it wasn't super complicated designs we we tried to do quality stuff at a fair price and i think people responded to that really well even though there was a recession going on um so maybe that helped us um and at the same time since we never focused on one single market we didn't just try to make it in sweden first and then go abroad uh it kind of helped us to spread the risk a little bit well, you guys were making, the first thing I remember is just like the best blue Oxford, like button down collar shirt, like a really classic, but it was at a time when you couldn't find those everywhere. You know, like Stephen Allen had kind of that sort of casual shirt that was cool. And like, I think Tom Brown was around and some others, but like for the money and for like a shirt that fit that right kind of casual way, 
it was like yeah. the our legacy oxford was like perfect and i and i could totally and that was how guys were really dressing at that time right like yeah. coming out of that recession moment was this kind of like preppy and workwear and these like really classic american sort of types were were what were popular and you had some pieces that fit that like was the best i think of what was out there plus it was like a european brand and it felt kind of new and like cooler than everything i just remember it um very memorable to me like probably buying it like at odin in the east village maybe i can't remember exactly yeah probably yeah yeah and, and then like 10 years later when i moved to new york i was like damn i'm really into these like sheer tops these are sick yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> exactly. like, i think our legacy really exactly. like sort of move you know it's it's moved and like predicted you know a new moment in dressing in a cool way i think thank you i'd like to think so so i mean we don't really try to predict what's going to be hot or not i mean we just do we, when we started out those shirts that we did those oxfords were stuff that we wanted to wear but we couldn't find or we couldn't find at least at least in you know around where we hung out so we kind of made made them ourselves and tweaked the fit and just made them perfect for 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 us and then you know 10 years later we're trying to do the same thing but you know we're into slightly different stuff we still do the shirts we still do the oxfords but they're maybe not as as uh out there as the sheer stuff that you might be <laughs> can yeah. you give us a go ahead rachel oh i was just gonna ask like i remember uh seeing those photographs i guess this would have been a year or two ago of the the show where you did the like destroyed soiree which in fact ended up being like quite uh, prophetic because I feel like every brand has now done the destroyed soiree photo yeah. shoot. Um, <laughs> but that to me felt like a big like turning point where it felt like it didn't feel like more fashion-y, but it started to move more in that direction of like the sheer tops and the like sort of deconstructed things. And I'm wondering if that was like a conscious turning point or if that was something that had just felt more like natural as an evolution as a part of the brand's evolution i think the i mean that show that you're talking about um that was the second collection we presented for that included both men's and women's and i think one of the big reasons that we wanted to you know try out to do women's wear as well is is that we we try to you know we've been testing those kind of fits out for men um but to, and, and we've had, you know, female customers, you know, women, girls coming in, buying our, the men's shirts in bigger sizes, but we also had, you know, guys wanting, asking for, for, you know, of course, women asked for, you know, when is the women's collection coming, blah, blah, blah. But also guys wanting to, you know, experiment more and, and us as well. And it just made sense to kind of, you know, to do a collection which has both men's and women's, you know, it's, it's, it's feminine proportions on the women's side and it's it's masculine on the men's but to to mix that and to to let guys dress in women's you know blouses and and vice versa so maybe that's that's it wasn't like let's let's go wild it's more like okay let's let that guy try on that blouse you know it mm -hmm. became quite, quite natural for us you i saw something recently that you said i think it was something like you sort of as the brand just naturally grew and sort of um like you guys have always been pretty comfortable with letting it letting it letting the aesthetic sort of evolve like the there's a consistent sort of sensibility but not super committed to like one look one style and um i i think i saw you say something like you went from being 
kind of the most expensive like contemporary brand meaning like mid like in that mid range to being mm-hmm. the kind of entry point on the designer side of things yeah. and that that was a much better place for you to be I wonder if you could do you still feel that way like you've sort of like the tier has shifted a little bit the position is a little different but you're more comfortable there you feel like it's a better place for our legacy to be uh, absolutely and uh, I mean different brands and different designers do different things but I, I think I mean as, as you all know it's like it's like you know what you're hanging next to in a store kind of you know it affects your view on what you're what you're looking at and and uh i mean for us it's it's that that kind of consumer looking at those brands were more open to what we were you know what we're up to these days and i think uh that's uh you know a big reason why we're kind of it's it's taken a, a good a good turn for us um but it's also i mean we've been kind of free to do what we want we don't have any you know investors pushing us demanding you know you know this or that that amount of of increase in in you know turnover and stuff so um we've kind of set you know aesthetic goals aesthetic aesthetic more like okay we want we want it to feel this way we want we want to be able to do that kind of product and that's more our goal than doing you know next year we need to turn over you know 100 million more you know it's never that's not that's never the carrot for us i think all businesses should set aesthetic goals rather than economic ones that's such a lovely yeah, I mean, idea you kind of feel that now as well you know people you know that have you know pushed you know turnover turnover you know bigger 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 numbers that that it, that bubble bursts very easily when 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 it kind of turns around and becomes you know tougher times yeah yeah i mean that's such an interesting point like i think a lot of designers right now are sort of having this like existential moment where they're questioning like the way that they do things and trying to rethink things but you already do things in like this very unorthodox way so like is there anything that you're thinking like oh we should we want to do this differently or we want to do more of this or less of that or i mean coming out of this or i mean now what we're talking about is of course that since since we don't have anybody telling us what to do we kind of you know from time to time have a hard hard time limit ourselves to like okay we can only do this amount of skews we can only you know we kind of go crazy sometimes and do too big collections you know too much stuff and that's kind of the lesson that we're learning now is you know we have to take it a little bit more easy uh limit ourselves a little bit more be more you know decisive in you know offering too crazy amounts of of you know the the people looking at our stuff they don't it's not going to help them if they have you know 50 shirts to choose from maybe we can actually do the job deciding which 25 are the actual best ones and that's what you get to choose from so i think that's one of the you know things that we're going to going forward it's going to be you know a little bit smaller collections you know we 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 kind of try to do the homework you know, a couple of times before we show the collections. Well, I think the big, like one big hopeful sort of thing that's shaping up through this in terms of, in terms of fashion and style and clothing and and all of it, the whole world is like the, the creators like yourself are in a position to rethink how they do things. And then the consumers, us are in a position 
to have to rethink things as well. And it's not just about like having less money to do stuff with. I think it's about really considering um, what you do with your money or what you want to represent or what you stand for, what you stand behind. I mean, you know, even people who maybe financially aren't affected by this, I, I do think that you come away from something like this, or I think we will come away from this with just like a different sensibility, a different different ideas about um, the the brands that we we pump our money into, you know. And I think like yeah. like you're saying, like however this whatever sort of demands are on, however you guys have to change things to keep the business in a healthy place is one thing. But I think there could also just be this idea of like, hey, we should really think about what we're putting into the world in a new way now, and maybe that means making a little bit less really making sure every single piece is like 110% what we need and want it to be. And that's going to serve this new consumer who's probably thinking of things and expecting, or, or like now is going to demand that, that level of depth that maybe they weren't so insistent on before, I guess, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Just change attitudes, change approaches on both ends that could ultimately lead to like something better, even if it means, and it probably means a lot of businesses will be really hurt or won't make it through, but that, that's, that's just a reality. I think that will come with it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what you see as well. You see companies that do one product really, really well are the ones, you know, they're, they're, they don't really have big issues going through this because they, they do what they do. They've always been doing it and it's, it's a great product pre the, pre the crisis and hopefully also post, you know, uh, people that do too much and kind of, you know, bury themselves in too many styles and too many things, you know, it's, uh, that also makes, you know, I think when you're reading and also when we've been discussing internally is of course that, that the climate is not health healthy with, with too many collections going out, you know, you know, too tight in, in between, you know, stuff don't seem, it seems hot for a minute and then the next collection comes out and you have to put the old stuff on sale and, and yeah. you know, it's not, it's not what people need. It's not what brands need. It's not what the world need. Uh, it's better to shop a little less, but be, you know, you know, you know what you're after and you're going to find that good, good item and you don't have to buy three of it. You, you need one maybe, you know? Yeah. Have you guys, um, this is like a really abstract question, but have you guys in thinking about designing future collections? So I don't know how far you are on like spring 21 and, and fall 21, but have you started thinking about new aesthetic directions that maybe respond to this? Like, you know, clothes that have a different kind of feeling to them, either if it's like, I'm just, I'm curious about how people see aesthetic styles maybe changing or responding to this moving forward. Like is spring 21 going to be full of like apocalyptic clothes that are all just like about like surviving, like whatever climate crisis and like things that feel like defensive and protective and like secure and utilitarian, or is it going to be like, no, let's celebrate bright, airy, light, lively, whatever. What, what, where are you guys at aesthetically thinking um, into the next few collections or have you even gotten there yet? I mean, to to be on to be honest and transparent, I think since we're working with uh, Italian mills and we produce every more or less everything in Portugal, we do some stuff in Italy as well. And Italy has been closed. Portugal has been kind of closed, you know, going on you know twenty 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 five percent. 
or so and it's it's gonna it's gonna affect what we're gonna be able to do Uh, and i think we'll a natural step is kind of to to actually look at what we've been up to the last couple of years and and to update and to do the stuff that we know people like and not not to sound boring but it's just yeah. uh it's just uh we need to be pragma- pragmatic here and and you know do a collection that that we know going to work for us it's going to work to produce it it's going to you know work also when it when it hits the stores um and then of course we're going to sprinkle it with a lot of you know fun stuff as well and there might be some cargo pants or you know tactical vest with some, i don't know yeah just just to tweak it a little bit now i'm just kidding but but of course i mean if you don't go through this you know if you go through this unaffected then you know you're doing something wrong so tactical berets exactly <laughs> the hidden pocket the stash pocket yeah yeah I really like um, your uh, the Our Legacy Workshop project um, because it, it provides people with a bit of a window into the creative process because you're, you know, like upcycling old products and, um, you know, like sort of reworking samples and stuff like that and providing yeah. those to people. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about Workshop and how that came about and why you guys wanted to um, open the store and sort of make that um, part of the business? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, workshop is is our kind of upcycle recycle project that we've been doing for three three plus years now. Um, it started out from kind of a feeling that we're you know when you when you're in in this in the fashion game producing, uh, you're gonna end up with a lot of you know excess residual stuff. You know, you buy too many meters of a fabric. You know, you end up with you know some pairs left of a trouser that didn't sell out you know it's 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 going to end you're going to end up with a lot of stuff and and when that goes on for too many seasons you kind of build a, a mountain of stuff that you you know <laughs> what do we do with this and and of course you can do sample sales and you can do but it's kind it, that kind of that kind of you know when you have rolls of fabrics that you bought and and to be also i mean when you buy a fabric for a certain garment that you produce and you can't be like okay i'm going to do 434 meters of this fabric to be able to reach our what we need you're gonna to have to buy like five or six hundred meters you know you always end up with you know it's it's gonna be rolls laying around and and we just saw that going to portugal when we have our our factories you know um our vendors it was just you know too many things laying around you know what do we do with this so um the workshop came around as a project we wanted to do a store that we that us that ourselves wanted to go to you know what's our dream store what is it like you know what do you find there um so workshop is a it's a store and it's a and it's a studio where we redo stuff over dye um you know alter alter items in, in one way or another um and it's been working really well so we kind of those rolls of fabrics laying around we do maybe they're from two seasons ago or 10 seasons ago, but we kind of do them in, in styles that we know that we like and that our consumer like, and, and we put them out in small ones. Um, we have our, you know, kind of like a merch, merch line, which is maybe our way of, you know, doing more tapping into a little bit to what, you know, the long sleeves and t-shirts and hoodies and stuff that um, kind of fills a void that we don't really do in our main collections. Um, but that's all done from, from, you know, upcycled material. Um, yeah, it's cool how you a- built that 
built that like graphic, like if our legacy had like a streetwear branch, you kind of built it into the workshop program, which I think was sort of a cool decision rather than do that separately or put that in the main line, but like to take the workshop idea and give it that like juice with the graphics and like that kind of direction was very cool because I think it helps make that feel really exciting. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we love it too internally and it kind of feels, you know, it does something else for us, you know, which is great. And, um, you know, as, as well as, as we take care of, uh, if there's like a cargo pant that we have 12 pairs left of that, you know, we over dye them, put a patch on them and, and, you know, kind of, you know, if it's two seasons old, it doesn't mean it has to be, you know, sold at 70% discount. We can kind of take it easy, you know, you know, treat it with something that makes it, you know, feel fresh and, and, you know, even more valuable than before and, and uh, put it out there and get them. So that's kind of what we've been doing with these workshop drops and they've been, you know, selling out since, since we started putting them online and it's been, uh, you know, it's a fun journey. It's a little bit frustrating because I kind of, I'm, I'm really hands on into that and it's, mm-hmm. I want to find more stuff. It's, uh, I know people are, you know, frustrated sometimes they didn't get their size or they you know sold out yeah well. including and me <laughs> <laughs> and it's not it's not intentional it's not like okay let's try to build a you know like a supreme box logo kind of vibe that you can't get your hands on it's more like we do I, whatever we get our hands on we we do fun stuff with it and then we put it back out and you know whatever we find it's what what's available yeah um and that's also like sorry sorry i interrupt here but um the workshop is also a fun and like a natural place where we can work with other brands which in in like a natural more fun and and no carefree way which is it's it's really good uh we've done some projects with the different brands uh, everything from uh you know Beddings, com- bedding companies, one called Magniburg, a Stockholm bedding brand. Oh, yeah. that is, we, we did some beautiful beddings with old shirtings, old shirt materials um, that we just put out. That was really nice. Uh, we worked with Artec, the Finnish uh, furniture company. We have a new yeah. project with them coming out soon. Uh, Converse sends us some, some dead stock that we over dye and patch up. And, oh, you know, cool. It's, a, it's, it's like a fun hub for us to work with, you know. Everybody that works in our legacy goes there and they're like, you know, we kind of have to keep them away from clearing the stock before we do these uh, on, <laughs> on, online drops. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good energy hub, I feel. Yeah. So you guys are making the, I was wondering how the Converse worked, but they just send you, they just send you regular Converse and you guys. Uh, it's like when they have like a color going out that, that's not in their collection anymore when we can get our, you know, like a dead stock twin you know some pairs that that you know they kind of you know we get it from them and and we you know upcycle it and make them fun and we have some projects with with the other brands coming out soon but i uh, that you know i'm really psyched to to be launching soon and those will be under the workshop sort of umbrella yeah you ready to share whether it's going to be or not yet no not yet I think you might know one, but yeah. Yeah. If you DM, if you Venmo me, um, $500, I'll tell you, (laughs) I'll tell you what it is. (laughs) Changing gears for a second. Let's just talk about growing up in Sweden because you guys, um, 
like you've talked a lot about with our legacy and just in our conversations, there's a lot of that like nineties influence and a lot of just like whatever underground culture, if it's skateboarding or, or hardcore music or whatever, just, just scenes that you guys are a part of that, that go into the collection. We didn't even say you're one of three founders. So it's, yeah, you know, it's, and you guys have known each other for a long time, right? Yeah. Me and Chris, me and Christopher, uh, founded the company then a couple of years later right. um ricardo's um moved, uh, joined us and and it was us three three musketeers for a little bit and and so we're the three owners and, and uh yeah we've been doing it ever since since two, 2005 was the first the first little t-shirt collections that we launched and, and now it's right so you're right at 15 20. years yeah yeah but what what's it like what was it like for you growing up in sweden what was your what was your youth like and how much, how did that end up informing what you do? I mean, we're, we're coming from, we're, we've grown up in a smaller city or like, I don't know, the 10th biggest city in Sweden, which is by your measures, a very small town. Um, <laughs> it's like a farm. You know, no, no, but it, you know, it had stores, it had a fashion store that sold, you know, whatever was good now, but you, you know, but on, on very like, limited capacity uh and uh i don't know growing up in sweden was like a thirst for for culture you know thirst for knowledge thirst for you know you couldn't really get your hands on anything you know it was tough to get you know if you're into skateboarding it was tough to get get your hands on a couple of you know whatever you wanted duff shoes or vans or whatever you <laughs> yes, know tough, tough to find or if you were into into you know music you know it was still you know it was a quest to get everything um, so of course we grew up on, you know, drooling in front of MTV, kind of dreaming about how it was like in the States through, you know, fantasizing about, you know, going to London, which was, you know, the closest. So British, you know, indie, nineties indie is of course big, big in our hearts. Uh, mm. for me, skateboarding, snowboarding, hardcore was this big, uh, we grew up on that and, you know, it affected me in a lot of ways, you know, Christopher um it was more you know rock but also he's, he's into art he, he went to italy after after school to study there uh, and uh, no the quest was kind of like to get out of that city you know where do yeah. you go you know so, and what was your first exposure like to fashion were there were there brands or people or scenes that like really turned you guys on to exploring fashion more specifically I mean, I, I worked in, uh, when I was like, from I was, I don't know, 11, 12, I worked in the, in, a, in the local fashion store that kind of did, you know, Carhartt, uh, you know, some, you know, when uh, Acne released their first collections, they mm. sold it there, which I don't know, I don't even remember the year, 90 something. Uh, Wait, you were 12 years old? Yeah, I started, I, I did my like summer <laughs> work during the summers there from when I was like 12, 13. Uh, that's cool so that's started when i started in sweden <laughs> flip, flip denim and uh you know there was like you know we had some fresh jive there was some streetwear stuff and, yeah. and it was cool it was a fun story you know it was a different time you know we could you know people were like you no know, they didn't really understand what it was but they you know they picked up some some bits here and there and you know yeah it was a fun fun time to kind of explore uh explore a lot of the, like what's a lot of the, like the bigger Swede, Sweden fashion brands started around that time. 
Um, so we kind of saw the first collections for them coming out, right? Coming into the stores, um, which kind of make it made you you know think, okay, so, you know, you see these guys coming into the stores showing a collection out of a bag, you know, it's you know kind of got your mind thinking, you know, what what do you want? What do I want to do when I grow up? You know, it's, you know maybe I, you know, sounds cool to have a car and you know go around in the cities and show clothes and. so that was like the one of the first goals what was it about that period do you think that that really like uh was i guess like fertile ground for people in sweden to start fashion brands like it feels like sweden sort of punches above its weight in the uh international fashion scene in terms of just like the quantity and quality of um, brands that come out of the country yeah i mean i don't know what it was just around i mean no you know, people came, you know, grew up in the right time to to start their brands around that age, I guess. I, I don't know if it was, you know, what it was, but it was a lot of things going on during that time, you know, early 90s that kind of sparked a lot of ideas as well, I think, and but with music, art, stuff going on. Uh, but also, I don't know, maybe people here were a little bit tired of just doing, you know, buying foreign brands or or, you know, the, the elder Swedish brands that kind of grew grew old, you know. So, I don't know, it was a good time. And then, you know, 10 years later, we, we started. And I think around that time was a good good kind of, you know, a span of a couple of years when a lot of brands started as well. What was the first, what were the first Our Legacy, what was the first product? Was it shirts? Now, both me and Christopher, we did graphic design in school. Uh, in different in different levels so we did like graphic t-shirts you know we did had all these ideas in our head on on things that we wanted to express but we were quite limited so it turned out into like graphical concepts for Mm t-shirts um so we went to i worked at a a fashion agency um for a couple years and i kind of learned the trade there too we went to florence italy and produced some some internal brands there uh, so I kind of learned, you know, how to go about it. And, and then we, around that same time, we started our legacy. So especially um, done, the first legacy collections were done outside of Florence. Um, oh, cool. Um, and we just, you know, we took it from there. So it was first kind of stuff was, was uh, t-shirts. And then we kind of added a product at a time since we don't have a classic fashion schooling, you know, we learned yeah. how to do shirts, you know, we knew, knew how do we want the end product to feel and, and, and fit. So we kind yeah. of, you know, we just, we were grinding until we've, you know, came to that kind of result that we wanted. So we added season by season, we added shirting, knitwear, trousers, you know, and then around that time, 2007, 2008, we kind of had a full or more or less full collections, but yeah. even like a, a, a shoe, like a deck shoe. All right. Well, 15 years in, man, you guys are still doing it. You're like the definitely like senior class of uh, menswear. You're a senior citizen. I don't know what you are, but a lot, a lot of brands don't make it that long. So congrats on that. Still, I mean, we thank you, but we still feel like newcomers, I think, yeah. in, in, you know, and get treated like that in some capacity as well, which I think is, is a blessing. You know, we still feel like a new brand to a lot of people. Yeah, um, yeah. I get that. And you've also, you guys existed a little bit outside of the fashion sphere, right? Like despite quietly growing and being one of the 
coolest brands and and doing a really strong business and and being in the all the right stores you still weren't really that like uh capital f fashion sort of scene brand ever did you feel did you ever feel like you weren't getting the recognition you deserved or did you feel like you guys were right in the spot where you wanted it to be which is on the outside a little bit i think it kind of left us in a place where we could you know try a lot of stuff out without getting you know called out on doing weird stuff that we shouldn't be doing or we you know we we you know we were a little bit left in peace to to try our ideas out and once they kind of were good enough we you know presented them and it, it kind of it worked well for us maybe sometimes we kind of feel like you know a lot of our, our ideas that we've done and we kind of let to rest for a season or two were picked up by other brands and you know bigger <laughs> bigger players and but you know that's just how the fashion game is and we, we're not like you know we're not sorry or we don't have any regrets it's just you know yeah. we kind of learn as well you know the the quest for constantly doing new design also kind of that means we have to leave really good stuff behind as well and and that's maybe what we're learning these days as well you know we've done some really good stuff over the years and we we don't need to do 200 new SKUs each season you know we can actually use what we've done yeah. um and and you know because that's you know people respond to that those styles really well you know it doesn't need to be three sleeves on a shirt or you know <laughs> you can just you know keep on doing what we're doing and i think in in our natural state is challenging ourselves and i think that's what kind of brings newness to what we do yeah all right we hit we hit the clock is winding down should we do does anyone want to do vibes yakum you feel like doing some vibes you got any vibes to share vibes is just like yeah 13 13 vibes the the lightning round of things that um recommendations it's our recommend of course i want to do vibes love vibes okay all right right, let's do it Live away. Thirteen. Did we all do it, or? Well, uh, it might mostly be you, but let's see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we all do it. We all do it. Okay. You got to start, though. Okay. So it's like stuff that I've been, you know, experiencing, listening to. Exactly. Whatever, or? Eating, yeah, reading, okay. eating, uh, looking at. Um, you know, new dance moves you're trying out, maybe people <laughs> you're talking to, yeah, anything. Now I read, I read the Beastie Boys book, and then I watched the uh, the Beastie Boys the story uh, on yeah. Apple, Apple TV. That's the you know, those are big for me. Uh, so kind of got into them around between their the Shake Your Head and and the Little Communication album, and you know, it's been you know, th- those were really influential on me. You know, on, the, yeah. on those in the nineties. So I haven't watched fun, the doc yet. Fun to see. No, it's yeah. great. It's amazing. I, I strongly recommend that. Great. I just ordered the book. Sorry. I you just ordered, ordered the, book? the book. Yeah. Yeah. I read the book first. You kind of know in the when you watch the doc that you kind of know where they're where they're going all the time, which is yeah. I mean, it's fine. But you, it's a lot of more visuals. You know, Spike Jones kind of. You know, it's it's a fun 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 thing to watch. Talking about the Beastie Boys, I also um, like. Four, four or five weeks ago, I found a find Mike D's podcast is really, really nice. It's called Echo Chamber. Oh, yeah. It's going through a lot of music uh, that they've been sampling, talking to, you know, new artists. Not not necessarily just hip-hop, but it could be from anywhere. Uh, you know, he's a big music guy, and it's, you know, good vibes, good listen. The Beastie Boys really, like, 
talk about like prophetic, like I feel like they really, in terms of like taking influence from all over and sort of treating it equally, both in terms of style and music and like this whole like kind of like mashup culture we've been living in for, yeah, I don't know, like Sam Hines' whole life. It just feels like it's very much not that the Beastie Boys were the first or whatever, but they were like the prime example of, of doing that. And it's like, you're not a poser if you like more than one thing or you're not, you know, yeah. you can still be authentic and real and committed, but you can also just be like wide ranging and all over the place and messy about it. Yeah. I mean, I grew up on, on hardcore. I've been playing a lot of hardcore bands and stuff and Beastie Boys started out as a hardcore group. And then moved into rap, and that's where I kind of ended up as well, you know, listening to that type of music as well. And it kind of, you know, it's a perfect fit. Our legacy sort of sounds like a hardcore band name. I've always liked it that. It does, yeah. <laughs> like a straight edge, like from the DC scene or something. Yeah. Exactly. OLHC. The other thing a that's so band. cool about uh, Mike D is that his mom is like one of the like premier art collectors in the United States. Wow, I didn't um, know that. <laughs> yeah, and she she was actually one of the first owners of the Constantine Brancusi sculpture. I think it was Bird in Space, but it might have been the uh, unique form and continuity. But she yeah. was like, like one of the first people to buy that. And I think she ended up selling it to MoMA. Um, but she has this like really incredible collection of old master paintings. And, it, and she bought these things like when they weren't super expensive and I think she was a school teacher and she just like would save all of her money and like purchase these things and it's so interesting to think about like Mike D growing up in this like house with this incredible art yeah. it really yeah. like learning that sort of like really reoriented my thinking about the Beastie Boys yeah, well. Made me take them a lot more seriously. Actually. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to order this book. <laughs> yeah, it's a good read. Um, yeah. Who else has vibes? My vibe is the, the triple threat of disastrous Rolling Stones movies slash documentaries that were made in like the late 60s and early 70s. So there's um, Cocksucker Blues, which was a tour documentary made in, I think, the mid 60s. Um, where the filmmakers gave um, all these like roadies and like the stones on a tour of these, uh, you know, handheld cameras and stuff. And the final product captured like so much drug use um, and bad behavior that the stones um, sued the filmmaker. And now it's only allowed to be, uh, it can only be screened, like legally, it can only be screened when the director is in the audience, like when he's present. Obviously now it's just on YouTube, so anyone can watch it. And then Gimme Shelter, um, the tour doc um, of the Stones taking America in 69, um, which obviously culminates in the uh, really horrifying um, Altamont Speedway show where the, um, like Jerry Garcia was like, hey man, like, you know, you should get the, um, the Hells Angels Hell's to do security, Angel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the great guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then of course they ended up killing Typical someone. Um, yeah. and, and the whole, you know, the event that sort of like ended the like, Woodstock uh, movement, I guess. And then Performance, which is the um, movie from 71, I think, that um, where Jagger sort of co-stars with Anita Pallenberg is this like, you know, louche, washed up rock star guy who helped this um, this dude played by James Fox hide out in his mansion. It was premiered, I think it was done by Warner Bros. And the premiere was such a disaster that apparently like, you know, some executive's wife threw up in her handbag, like, 
the movie's like really <laughs> raunchy and crazy. Um, and so they like, they basically shelved it for two years and like super quietly released it um, to theaters. And it was like a huge, you know, it was a huge bust. Um, wow. And the movie's really fascinating. It's actually pretty good. It's on Criterion, but like it kind of ruined everyone's life who was involved besides like Jagger, you know, Anita Pallenberg, like, developed a crazy heroin addiction and she actually like does it on screen in the movie and she was obviously dating uh keith richards at the time and keith was so mad that she was in this movie with mick because he thought that they were having an affair and of course they were um and then the the main character james fox like had to become an evangelical christian because of like how horrified he was by everything that went down so was was american is was, was american classic rock big for you growing up or was that like not considered cool at all Classic rock. I mean, we're, I mean, digging through your parents' record, you know, LPs, you know, find yeah. Springsteen, you know, those kind of guys, of course. So yeah, talking about talking about um, the Stones. Did you hear the new Stones single? Oh yeah, the new, I haven't. Uh, his it's voice, okay. man, Jagger's <laughs> voice has aged so well. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it sounds good. Wow. Wow. Nothing, nothing hurts Mick Jagger. No, yeah. how it's like can it? emerges like just like higher and higher height. Yeah, how can it? Really incredible. Yeah, corporate lunch is really always bringing you guys the most cutting edge uh, <laughs> from the culture, including the Beastie Boys and the Rolling Stones. So if you guys haven't, I don't know if you guys have heard of these bands. <laughs> if you haven't checked out the Beastie Boys and the Rolling Stones, there's your vibes. And um, Yakum, thanks for calling in. Ah, my pleasure. My pleasure. And, uh, fun to chat with you and um, stay safe and well and healthy. Does anyone have any final vibes before we sign off and send this one to the Library of Congress? <laughs> My vibe is Sweden. Sounds like a much yeah. better time than uh, yeah. Are you guys gonna have New York uh, Chicago mid Somar celebrations or what? How's this gonna work? I don't know. You're not gonna be able to hold hands dancing that pole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so maybe we'll come. Maybe we'll skip this year and we'll come. We'll come for it next year. Yeah, I look forward to coming back visiting you as well. Yeah, man. We'll see you in New York or or in Sweden. Good Later, talking everybody. to you guys. Bye, guys. Bye.